Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? All right, how about now? Still doing it. All right, excellent. Well, my name is Chris Plugginpaul. I'm the lead pastor here at Wells Branch Community Church. If you are new, um, I'm wearing an awesome stopwatch, not because I'm going back to 90s gangster rap, but because I uh, want to just remind you that we've been praying uh, over the past, I guess it's 35 days now, uh, that we've been asking God to reveal to us what we should be giving to this uh, capital campaign. And so I've got, been under 40 hours of prayer that I've been uh, kind of going for over the past 35 days. And so it's been an exciting time. So if you're new here, you've jumped right in the middle of a capital campaign to which you're like, oh, seriously, we came on that day? Yes. But the good news is uh, you get to be a part of something really special here uh, called Commitment Sunday. And I'm so glad you're here to witness uh, what God is going to do through our church. This is a really incredible time uh, for everyone to be here. Now, uh, one of the things I love to do, and if you're like, why is the church always asking for money? This is a great time to ask that question on Pastor Plex Podcast. I would love to answer that question and any other question you might have because we do questions. There's no question out of bounds. I love questions uh, and would love to answer that, and it gives us great things to talk about on uh, the podcast. Okay. Now, so we have been uh, walking through the book of Nehemiah, and with the whole sort of theme has been Revive the Stones. And the reason why it was Revive the Stones, at one time our children's ministry area, which was across the courtyard over there, was turned to rubble, turned to stones. Uh, and so, uh, and in what happened in Jerusalem is that the wall that protected the city was turned to rubble, stones. And so the whole thought was, uh, as the, the enemies of God were taunting uh, the Jews and said, will you revive the stones that were once rubble? To which Nehemiah and all of Israel said, watch this. And that was an incredible experience. And that's kind of where we're at. In fact, not only did they do that, they made this incredible commitment, which we're going to talk about this morning. And when we talk about commitment, um, where are my single people at? Okay, awesome. All right, good. All right, there. So there was a time in which I struggled with commitment because, you know, I mean, if you get married, you're just, you're narrowing down your options. It's like, you know, you, the, here's the big fear I had, right? Here's the, you ready for it? Can, can we just be real for a second on commitment? So some of you are like, oh, this is always going to be dangerous when he gets like this. All right. So my fear was I'd be walking down like the aisle of the grocery store. I'm not sure why the grocery store, because I never went, really went to the grocery store, but that was my fear, all right? Uh, I ate out for like every meal because I was a complete bachelor. Adrian can attest to that. Like me and the grocery store didn't really get along. But my big fear was that I would be married to somebody going down the grocery sto- store grocery store aisle, the cereal aisle. I'm not sure why it was cereal, but it was cereal. And I'd be picking out the, you know, my flavor du jour, and I'd pull it out. And as I pull it out, I'd like see the one. And I'd be like, oh no. Like I already am married and I got the wrong one. And that's the one that was supposed to be there. Does anybody, does anybody else have like that weird fear? Nobody else. Okay, got it. I'm alone in that. All right. So like that was the big <laughs> awkward moment. He's like, that's weird. All right. Until I met Adrian. Okay. That's, that, that, that's what erased all that. All right. Uh, so it was like the reality of like, that was the big fear because what if you got, and then I didn't want to go through a divorce. I didn't want to have to go through all that. I mean, like that, that was the tendency of the culture. So you just put that off for forever. And so you kind of live in fear of this big thing. Okay. And that's what we all have a tendency. Listen, at least I have a tendency. I don't know about you. We all have a tendency to struggle with commitment on the front end because we're afraid. 
All right, and then there was this other fear about um, getting married that I didn't want to get like married to a roommate. Did anybody any else have that fear? Maybe you're living that. Don't raise your hand. And so what, what would happen is like you get married and all of a sudden you just be like stuck out of obligation. Well, I'm here. I said I'd do it, so here I am. And that, that would be like this unbelievably miserable spot. And I don't want to be there out of, of a just sheer obligation. Or just to, just to be fair, since we, a lot of us, we live in um, our modern-day world with options galore, and so we don't commit to anything ever. I mean, that's just sort of our world. Like, we don't live in a world where we value what our word is. We live in a world where we value options. And so that is like what, what I think sort of drives a lot of us. And so this morning, I want us to overcome any struggle you might have with commitment, especially as it is Commitment Sunday. So whether it is relationally or financially, I want us to be a people whose word of yes means yes and no means no, but also that we don't do it out of like, all right, guess I gotta. But there would be this great joy in it, all right? So that's where we're going this morning. Uh, so if you have a Bible, if you uh, pull them up, we're going to open to Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible all, look around somewhere, and there should be one in the seat in front of you. Uh, and we would love to give you that as our gift to you, because we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. All right, um, we're going to pray, and then we're going to ask God to really open up our hearts and minds to what Nehemiah, uh, uh, the book of Nehemiah, would say to us. God, we love you. We worship you. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. And God, when, when it comes to commitment, we can be such chickens uh, because we've, we're afraid. Uh, we can just look at it with like, I don't want to get in stuck. I don't want to get into uh, some op- obligatory world. I don't want to get into something I've never done before. And so, Lord, I pray that you would show us the, the glory of commitment and how good it is for the soul, uh, or how it results in worship, and how uh, follow-through is an exciting thing to be a part of. God, we love you, and we worship you, and we're asking you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody's sad. Amen. All right. So here's where we've been, all right? So just in case you've been uh, just jumping on board uh, this morning, and you're like, I don't know Nehemiah, that, like that's in the sticky pages of my Bible, that's never really been opened. Uh, I get that. Nehemiah is one of those that uh, you probably have skipped over, because it's got a lot of names all over the place, and that gets frustrating. But Nehemiah starts off with chapter one. Nehemiah is presented with a problem. His brother comes from a uh, trip from a thousand miles away, says, hey, the city of Jerusalem, the city of our forefathers, it's completely busted up and broken down. Things aren't looking good for those people. And Nehemiah, upon hearing the news, it's like getting beat by OU and Oklahoma State in consecutive weeks, and it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. I mean, it's like weeping, gnashing of teeth. Like, what are we going to do, right? And then he starts praying. He's like, God, you have got to do something. And this is why we've been on 40 days of a prayer journey, is he went on a four and a half month prayer journey, and he did not bring it up to the king until he was ready. But when he does, he risks his life for God's vision. God put a vision in his heart. You, Nehemiah, are going to be involved in restoring that city. And so on a particular day, four and a half months later, he goes, he just shows up sad to work, and he knows the boss and be like, yo, what is going on? Why are you so sad? I know you're not sick. What's up? And that's when he becomes afraid, but in, overcomes fear by faith. And he says, listen, king, there's something going on. I need your help. And he asked, the king asked, what can I do? And he says, I need you to give me a whole lot of wood, like millions of dollars worth of wood. I need you to give me a whole lot of resources. I need to, 
I need a lot of stuff. And he does. And he gives him more than that. He gives him an army to march down all the way to Jerusalem to protect him. And he starts encountering uh, God's vision. And then we saw that he had to overcome uh, opposition with his faith. He had the enemy of God going like, well, 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 Nehemiah, what, you're going to rebuild those walls with these people? <laughs> you're going to die. And then they threaten him. And, and then they threaten him. And he does, he's like, we're doing this thing. He's like, he is, he's like one of those stubborn people. Like, stubborn people are really great in these situations. They're not so great in like the tender, loving moments where you need someone really to be compassionate. Those are not times for those people. Like Patton, you don't want him like, you know, managing your preschool. But you want him like when there's a war to go and, to go and battle out. So that's Nehemiah. He responds with faith uh, to opposition, and he overcomes the opposition of the enemy taunting him, saying, we're going to kill you. And he overcomes the internal opposition. People are like, why do we, Nehemiah, why do we really need to do this? I mean, we're, I mean, our house is fine. Do we really need a wall? I mean, do we really need to, you know, I mean, that worship stuff was like 170 years ago. Do we really need to do that again? And Nehemiah is like, we are doing this because God has placed this on my heart, and we are going to follow through with it. And he overcomes the opposition. And then in, in 7 and 8, they get the wall built, and then they read God's word, and they're convicted that they actually need to obey it. And then uh, last week, we read chapter 9, and the Levites confessed the sins of the fathers as well as their own sins. And that was a powerful expression of, like, humility before God. And then at the very end of that, they make a commitment. And that's where I, I want us to start off this morning, is we're going to start off with that commitment. In fact, go to uh, chapter 9, verse 38, last, last verse there. And uh, this is what he says. We make a firm covenant in writing. Like they wrote it down. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. End chapter 9. Then chapter 10 says, On the seals are the names of Nehemiah, the governor. Like Nehemiah, the guy that wrote this book. The son of Hekeliah, Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Malchahah. All right, we're going to pause there because that's a lot of names that you weren't ready for this morning. And in fact, the rest of chapter 10, all the way up from around verse 27, list O names. And here's what I love about this. It was Commitment Sunday back then, and everybody wrote out their name. They said, we are signing up for the covenant. You, you can seal it write it down, put it in the records for forever, and we still have it like over 2,500 years later, we still have that document right here. How intense is that? Like, uh, this is why I love the Bible. In case you hear like Bible schmeibel. Here's why I love the Bible. Why, if you're going to make all this stuff up, why write everyone's name down so like, like why waste the space? I mean, you know, you know remember before the printing press, it wasn't like copy paste, right? It was like, how do you spell that name again? All right. I mean, that, that, is, that was a lot of work and a lot of effort. And so here, when you have that, this is why I love God's word because it's, a, it's not just a book of rules. It's a story of God's people and how God showed his love and, and God's people showed their love back, well, on and off uh, over the years. And so here's a time when they're on. And so we're like, yeah, we're gonna be like them. And so he goes all the way through the rest of the names, the people, and verse 20 I love, and the rest of the people, which I, I did enjoy that. Eventually, they, there's some other people that couldn't figure out, didn't have more space to write. All right, and the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, 
kind of explain all that join. Verse 29, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse, which you're like, what? It is Halloween. And enter into a curse and an oath to walk in the law that was given by Moses. And so what you may not know is like, what you could do is you could call, this is how serious they were. Like, if we don't follow this, we believe in this so much, we want God curse us if we don't do it. We want, bring it. We are ready to receive, you know, divine judgment if we don't follow through because we believe this this much. And I love that. Primarily because Jesus took the curse. That's, that's why I get excited about Jesus because we're not under any curses and that's why there's no need, there's no need to call a curse on yourself to uh, fulfill your oath. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 5, 37, do you guys know this? Everyone's like, you know, he's a Sermon on the Mount type stuff. He's like, listen, people, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else from the evil one. Don't, don't make an oath on God's temple or on the, his city. And, and what, the reason why Jesus did it, because this is like, well, Chris, aren't we making an oath right now or a commitment? Isn't that kind of like against what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37? No, no. God makes promises. God's people make promises. And that's a celebrated good thing. What what was happening in the New Testament <laughs> is that, have you ever been around somebody who like did the cross their fingers swear? I swear, or I swear to God. Anyone use that one when you're young? I swear to God. And, like, that was a classic, at least where I was growing up. Uh, so you, you, could go, you could go, I promise I'll do it. And then when you didn't want to do it, be like, well, I didn't actually swear to God. I squared to God. Ba-boom. Or I didn't actually, I didn't swear uh, on, in, on God in heaven, I swore on Jerusalem, which is a city which really was in a thing, and so therefore I don't need to fulfill my obligation. And so what Jesus, he wasn't saying don't be committed, he's saying be so committed that you don't have to squirrel your way out of a commitment. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no, and you squirrel your way out, that's of the evil one. Your word matters. All right, that, that's what that's about. And so this is where, what made, here's another thing, what made Israel distinct is that their word mattered. In my quiet time this morning, I was, you know, again, fascinating reading in Leviticus. Uh, I was reading Leviticus 19, it was like the Christian sex ethic, or Judeo-Christian sex ethic. And it said, like, when you left Egypt, or you left Egypt, and you're about to go into Canaan, don't be like the Egyptians or like the Canaanites. There is a distinct Christian sex ethic, distinct... God's people's sex ethic that you are called to, don't be like them. That's going to make you different. And isn't this what, what makes us distinct, and this is why people get angry at Christians all the time. This is sort of like on my rant for free. What makes people hate Christians is we say a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to do, we're for, and then when we don't follow through, we make being a Christian being like, whatever. It's like, nah. I know I said I'd do that, and I know I said I'd come through for you, and I know you're on the hook for that amount of money, but listen, I got things and bills, and, and then, that, then you just make God look out to be your little fairy that you like, kind of like, please make me happy. Give me fairy dust, as opposed to a God that you fear, revere, and honor. Does that make sense? And I think there's a, and this is why, again, non-Christians, if you're not a Christian here, you're like, man, I knew it. That's why you people are ridiculous. And so that's why this is a big deal. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. And here, okay, and here is what these, here's what these people, the, the people of Nehemiah's day, here's what they committed to. It wasn't just they were giving to a capital campaign. It was that and more. Watch this. 
Here's what they said. Listen, we're going to marry only believers, all right? Which you're like, isn't that what Christians do? Yes, but what was going on in that day, they would marry non-Jewish people, and so then they would start worshiping other gods. So marry only believers because it's only a matter of time before you start following other gods like Solomon did. All right, rest on the Sabbath. Now this is, during that time, what made Israel distinct is that they had a six days they would work and they'd rest one day. While the rest of the world was furiously trying to keep up, they would be like, we're good, God's got us. And that was a symbol to the rest of the world that they trusted God and not their own work ethic. And so the rest of the world was like, aren't you guys actually lazy? And like, no, no, God is taking care of us. In fact, um, and then Jesus ultimately becomes our Sabbath day rest, which is why we don't, the Sabbath is from Friday night to Saturday. You guys knew that, right? Uh, so it, that's why we do rest on the Sabbath, but it's in Jesus, and that's where our freedom is. Okay, now watch this. Then rest the land every seven years. Now here's what's something that I don't think they understood fully because they didn't go to Texas A&M, uh, is that there's something called crop rotations. Do you guys know anything about this? All right, so like you literally rest the land. So if you're... Uh, tomatoes and beets. That was the first couple things that came to my head. And cucumbers, all right? If you're going to grow those and maybe some corn, you want to rotate the crops. When we go to Africa and we're like, we're like geniuses in like, uh, they've been doing agriculture old school for bazillions of years and you'd think like they would have it down. But no, because nobody has told them about crop rotations. So when we introduced crop rotations, we were like mad scientists, okay? And the reason is it, it allows the land to rest so it actually grows a greater harvest, Okay, and they hadn't done that because that's scary to not plant something on your ground for a year. Okay, then cancel all debt every seven years, which everyone with student loans like. Thank you. No, here's what happened. Here's what happened. So every now think about this is just as far as like loans and and like business opportunity. Every seven years, you're like debt's canceled. Don't worry about it. So your debt structure would be like a six six years and. 360-day debt structure, right? Uh, and this was huge. And so every seven years, they were going to say, like, if you owed me money, all cancel. I mean, thought, think about if you would live like that, like you, you loan somebody some money, and like every seven years, you're going to cancel. It probably, you wouldn't loan a lot of money, but it'd be really good, especially as the Bible says, give whoever it asks of you. Let them, if they ask for a loan, loan it to them. And you're like, but I might come out on the, the short end of the stick. He's like, exactly, all right. That's huge, right? Cancel all debts every seven years. This is what they're signing up for. Like, hey, we're only asking for a capital campaign. We're not asking you to cancel all debts every seven years, all right? This is not that big of a deal. Now, that's what the people committed to. And then they had these temple commitments, which is a longer list. So every, so give one-third month's pay to temple, your, temple work yearly. So take your paycheck that you get every month, divide it by three, and that's how over the course of a year you would pay that to the temple, okay? Then they would do the work of the temple, which sort of makes sense. They committed to that. Then they give the first fruits of every tree to the temple. Okay, so the first apple that came off this tree, that goes to the temple. The first fig off this tree, that goes to the temple. All right, and dedicate firstborn to the Lord. So every child is like, remember Joseph and Mary, they bring their uh, baby Jesus up to the temple and they take two turtle doves for the sacrifice to honor uh, the Lord with their firstborn. And so that's what they were going to reinstitute that. And then give firstborn of herd and flock to the Lord. So every, every calf that opened the womb of the cow would be brought and sacrificed at the temple to say, like, we trust God with how he's going to provide for us, even if we sacrifice the first of the herd. 
and then give a tenth of all the produce to the Levites. And then the Levites take a tenth of the tithe. So this is really like, wait, a tenth of the tenth. Tenth of the tenth for the treasury. And then don't neglect the temple. All right, so these are all the commitments they're signing up for, uh, saying like, listen, we are going to put money in, we're going to put work in, we're going to do all this for temple worship because God's people committed to support the covenant community. And that's exactly what we're in the middle of in, as far as this capital campaign, or actually on the tail end of, because this is, this is Commitment Sunday. And so one of the things I wanted to show is like, not all those things, like there are some people that wouldn't benefit from that. Like there, there's people that wouldn't, maybe they didn't live in Jerusalem. They weren't going to get temple experience, maybe about the three pilgrimages a year. And one of the things I thought of, uh, at least what they made me think of when this happened, uh, as some of you may know, I've been visiting all the community groups uh, to kind of talk about the, the capital campaign and to kind of show renderings and stuff. And as I showed uh, the picture of um, uh, the, what the space is going to look like, I divided it up by cost per room. I know that seems like a weird thing. It just took the total amount, divided by square footage, and then you have cost per room. And as I was at uh, the Scott community group, so uh, youth director Tyler is also community group leader uh, Tyler, and he, uh, in his group, someone said, hey, listen, look at that. We could buy a children's ministry room. It's like, we can buy a zoo. I, you know, it was like one of those kind of a cool moment, like a realization, excitement that the community group had, and I was like, you know, I was sitting around, there's like nine single people and two married couples, and I was like, this might be a stretch for you guys, but yeah, let's do it. Uh, and so uh, Tyler texted, or Joni texted me on, what night did you text me? Friday night. And they said, hey, we, we bought a room. And so they've committed to, uh, to invest as much as it would cost for a children's ministry room, which was unbelievably exciting. And here's the fun thing about that. None of them have children. Now think about that. So they're like, the, the, the excitement for them was, I want to, I want to be a part of a, co- a covenant community that is supporting all the people with their children. Now, it might, might also have been in hopes that they might too have children and get married one day. That, that, that might have been part of that. But I think the deeper thing of that was like, I want to support the covenant community in what they are trying to do to build a place that isn't going to necessarily benefit me, but it's going to benefit the community because there's going to be a single mom out there. There's going to be a, a worn out family and they need someone to minister to their children where they can be exhausted for a second and just go, let me rest in the word of God. And right now uh, at our children's ministry, um, It's an exciting thing to see children hear God's word, memorize God's word, love God's word, and experience God's word. And do you guys know this, that there's a blessing in store for anyone who gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones? And so there is a real blessing in store. And what I loved about that is not not that the the Scott community group is going to get an extra measure of blessing, but the reality is they're going to experience, I don't know if we're going to put a gold plate over one of the, you know, the third through fifth grade, the Scott community group. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. We're not that church. But what the reality is, is like, I, I feel like there's an excitement there that they could kind of walk into one of those children's ministry. We did this. And, I, and that's the heart of this is that you get around that sort of community and it gets exciting. That's what I love about this capital campaign. It forces you to think outside the material need of your own sphere of influence. And if you're a single person, it gets really tiny. And, but even over your family, if you've got a more robust family, it forces you to think outside of that to what the covenant community needs. Now, after uh, 
uh, chapter 10 wraps up. Chapter 11 talks about who's going to live in Jerusalem because they needed a tenth of the people to move in because it was a big, vacant community. You know how like, you have like, those, uh, the communities that have been built out, but nobody lives there yet? It's sort of like that. And so we need one of every ten families to move in from the city and all, all the Levites to move in because we need singers and gatekeepers and we need all the people to fulfill the roles. And so they started to list out all the people that started to move into the city. And that's chapter 11, verse 1, all the way through chapter, 20, uh, chapter 12, verse 26. And all the people are numbered and accounted for. And then they have this huge dedication ceremony. Look at this. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all the places they lived to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication joyfully with songs of thanksgiving and songs accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. Now, which is really great about this, up to this point, they didn't have any instruments. This is like the first mention of instruments, so they, they went from Church of Christ to kind of like, hey, we're going to bring in the instruments now, and that was an exciting moment for a lot of people. All you non-Church of Christ people don't understand that reference. It's good. Okay, and what they did was, is they got all of the Levites on top of the city wall. So they got somewhere here, you know, actually, they start down here at the temple. One group of Levites went all the way down the wall and all the way up. And another group of Levites went all the way down the wall and all the way up. And why this is a big deal. Do you remember in chapter 4, you have Tobiah. Tobiah is um, an Ammonite, and he goes, <laughs> that wall, if a fox walks on that wall, break it down. 52 days later, you've got, the, you've got a marching band. Hey, all marching up and down the wall, and they are going for it, and they're saying, like, watch. And the choirs, look at this, sing loudly. All right, this is, this is a moment where it's the, it, this is college band type moment. We're going, this isn't singing quality, we're singing loudly. This is t- my type of party. Sing loud, not well. Here we go. The choirs sing loudly under the direction of Jazz Rahaya. They want to make sure that the proper guy that got the right credit for the loud singing, perhaps not exactly the quality singing. And on that day, they offer great sacrifices and rejoice, for God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away where Sambalat and Tobiah and all the other haters could hear it. Because God was doing something. God was doing something. Commitment resulted in joy and worship. Look what God has done. Now, here's what's sort of weird. And I know this, uh, this is, they just committed. They haven't actually fulfilled really any of the commitment yet. Remember, the commitment wasn't for the wall, right? They, they were dedicating the wall, and they were celebrating the wall, but they were also celebrating the fact that they committed to do something really great. Now, look, when I think of uh, celebration, it's usually after you've, like, won something, done something. Like, so think about, uh, okay, remember the Israelites? Whenever they are um, going through the Red Sea, you know, God splits the sea, they walk right through it, they turn around, here comes the Egyptian army, you know, they all drown. And then they, they, they write the song. Look what God has done. Horse and rider drowned in the sea. Woohoo! And it's a party. What you understand, like God did something. And this is really amazing. But here they're celebrating just a commitment. They're celebrating a dedication and a commitment to do all of these things. And this sort of was like an interesting thought for me because it reminded me of um, 
before we went to war. So I, I was in Korea and with the uh, uh, Second Infantry Division, and we already thought we were at war because we were like on the DMZ, uh, and Kim Jong Un and Il at the time were always threatening. So, but we got sent from Korea to Iraq. But before we left, we did a parade, which is sort of weird. And it wasn't like we did a parade with like. I don't know. You do all parades in the military from the 1700s. You literally march around like you're Napoleon and like, no, that's what you do. I mean, you just march around in a big circle. And, uh, and it's really, it's, it's a lot of pageantry and a lot of people go, a lot of clapping. And they're clapping for us, but we hadn't, uh, like, no bullets had been shot at me. I hadn't been, there was no violence done in my way. There was, there was nothing that I, there was no reason to really celebrate other than the fact that we had committed to go do something really special. We were going to go fight the nation's war. And so there was a huge party and a huge celebration. You know what else is like kind of on the front end where you kind of party on the front end uh, before you, on a big commitment day? Weddings. Like yesterday we celebrated, uh, the Chilton's got married in like somewhere in the, Oregon, thank you. It was like way out there, West Coast. And, and you, know, you watch them on Facebook, you, got, you see the, the Pacific Ocean behind them, and it was really a beautiful thing. Um, and, but, that, but they haven't lived a day of marriage yet. They don't know what it's like. <laughs> I'm kidding, sort of. Like, they don't know, right? They're just like, yay, it's marriage. Uh, and everyone's like congratulating them. And everyone's like, oh man, they're in for it, right? Everyone's like, oh, that first year. All right, and so that's a beautiful thing. In fact, um, and, but they, they haven't lived a day of marriage. In fact, here's, here was a great day for me. This was downtown, right? This was, we got our wedding day. Adrian and I got married 10 years ago this year. Isn't that awesome? And, and it was, a, everyone was, we had 200 people plus the, uh, what are these people called? The wedding party, thank you. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I'm a dude, all right? We don't know these words, all right? So, uh, and so this was an ex- incredible experience where 200 people came to celebrate. Adrian and I danced, and we kissed, and we ate cake, and uh, it was super fun. It was super fun, and everyone celebrated that. And um, because it, the commitment is huge. There was singing, there was celebrating, there was a party, but we hadn't been married a day yet. We hadn't been through our first, like, knockout, drag out, I can't believe I'm married to you fight, Rhett. You know what I mean? Like, we hadn't been through that yet. Anybody, anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. I'm just making sure. Right, and, and, then, and then we didn't get to reconcile that and love each other. And obviously, I love Adrian 10 gazillion times more than I did on this day. But when I talk about 10 years, people are like, oh, that's sweet. Whereas I had sparklers out for the wedding day. And I think what's really beautiful about that is there is an excitement around commitment. It results in joy. Because when you commit to something, it goes, oh, wow, they're in this. They're in it. They're doing it. We're with us. We're together. And that whole, like, the wedding, it's like all families come together saying the family's going forward. Isn't that awesome? And that's exactly what's happening today. The family's going forward. And we want everybody invited to that party. And I get excited to think about what God is going to do with that. In fact, watch what happens after this huge day of dedication. Verse 44. On that day of this dedication, men were appointed over the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes, 
to gather it to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions prescribed by the law for the priests and Levites. Now hold on, hold on. They were appointed on that day to receive stuff that hasn't come yet. Okay, so nothing. It's not like they had a need for them to like. Okay, listen, guys, we need to get everybody in there. They're about to bring it. It's like coming in two minutes. No, it was. This was going to be a regular thing, and we're going to prepare to receive it. Uh, the, uh, for the people of Judah took delight in the priests and Levites who were ministering. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification along with the singers and gatekeepers according to the commandment of David and his son Solomon. And I love this next line. For long ago, look at this. This is funny. Do you not think this is funny? This is like 2,500 years ago, and they're like, 25 years ago, like, and then long ago, like 500 years or so before this, uh, David and Asaph, in the days of David and Asaph, like these, were, these guys wrote a lot of the Psalms, there had been directors for the singers and for the songs of praise and thanks to God. Worship has always been a big deal. It just sometimes gets lost when God's people forget what they're here for. So in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel was contributing the portions for the singers and gatekeepers according to the daily need. They also set aside the portion for the Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. In the descendants of Aaron, those are all the priests. So you have priests who do all the like sacrificing. You have Levites who serve as clerical workers, governmental workers, in a sense, uh, for, for the people of God. But God's people acted in accordance with their commitment. One of the questions I've been getting a lot lately uh, over the past week is, um, what if we don't raise enough money? Like, I, I get that one. And I think I've come up with a different answer every time because, uh, you know, it's one I didn't really prepare for because I'm like, I don't know. I didn't really think that's not even an option. Uh, that's going to happen, you know, like, but I, I actually got this. So I, I, as I've been thinking about that question, um, does anybody watch cheesy Christian movies? Did anybody else do that? Anybody? Okay, am I, am I, I feel like I'm a little bit... Oh, thank you, Dory. Yeah. So th- there was a movie called Facing the Giants back about the same... <laughs> so about that same time, there was another movie called Remember the Titans. Okay, not cheesy. Facing the Giants. Okay, all right, thank you. All right, not cheesy. All right, all right, listen, I... I, listen, I, every time I watch it, I cry, so I'm a, I'm a sucker for cheese, okay? So, uh, so there's, this, there's this part in the movie, all right? So, like, there's an old guy who's, like, the chaplain of the school, and he, like, he walks through the, through, the, um, through the school, and he's, like, praying over the lockers, and then, you know, Coach Taylor's in. He's kind of working on, you know, he's, just, he's really frustrated, he's, and then uh, the old guy walks in. He's like, Coach Taylor? Remember, he's from Georgia, like, South Georgia. Yeah, Coach Taylor? God gave me a word for you. And uh, he told me, you need to trust him. God opens doors that no one can shut, and he can shut doors no one can open. <laughs> and he walks out. <laughs> All right, so then, so then, you know, Coach Taylor is at his office. He's just like, and he walks out, and he's like, sir, you really tell me? God really told you to tell me that? And he's like, I believe so, he did. 
And then, he, and then Coach Taylor goes, well, I, I've just been praying, and uh, I just don't see God at work here anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then uh, the old guy goes, let me tell you a story. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, let me tell you a story. It goes like that. Now, there were uh, two farmers, and they were praying for rain. And one of them farmers, he went out and got his field ready. Now, which one do you think believed God would send the rain? And Coach Taylor goes, well, I believe it was the one that, uh, that prepared the field. Which one are you? <laughs> and I was like, that's it. That's the answer. Thank you, Facing the Giants. You came through for me from 2006. All right, so, so watch this. Here it is. So in this middle of this capital campaign, I don't know if you guys know this, in the background, we've been preparing the field. We've been doing, uh, working with architects and civil engineers, and we've got site plans, and we've got the permit turned into the city because there's a lot of work to do because God is bringing the rain. <laughs> now, when he brings the rain, here's what's exciting. You know, remember 10 years ago, Adrian and I got married, and it was an exciting thing, and it was so fun, and there was a whole horde of people. But this year, we celebrated our 10th anniversary with just the six of us. And here's what's fun about that, is that there were only two, multiplied now to six. And what's really cool about that is not that there wasn't a huge, there wasn't 200 people celebrating our our little family, but there was uh, this growth that the commitment resulted in fruit. The the commitment of, of when it got hard, we hung in. When it got hard, we leaned into God and to each other and said that we are going to do this. And so we have four amazing children that we're raising up to be God-fearing men. We make men who love God. And I can't wait to see what happens with these four as they continue to grow up in amongst this house of the Lord and this assembly of people. And that gets me excited. And that hopefully the same commitment that's going to raise up these four Christian warriors is going to be the same commitment that you take to your family to raise up the next generation of followers of Jesus who love God, who love people, and make disciples. Amen. So this morning, this morning, uh, I want us to do something. So here's, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm about to give you like 30 seconds. If you don't have, uh, if you don't have one of these little card thingies, uh, our, usher, our ushers could, pass, if someone doesn't have one of these, I would love everyone to have one. Because I want everyone, even if you're like, Chris, I just showed up today. Like, put a dollar on there, put it in. I would love for everyone to participate today with what you would commit, commit over the next uh, three years. And so it's going to look like this. You're going to come down. You're going to, uh, after you write your commitment on there, you're going to put it, open the box, put it in the box, face down. And then you're going to come over here and you're going to take a stone. And this stone, which we're reviving the stones, revive the stones, you're going to write on the back of it what you have put in here. And this is not for a prominent place on your kitchen table. Uh, I'm putting mine in my toothpaste drawer. Because every time I brush my teeth, which happens, you know, at least twice a day on a good day, uh, I want to I remember the commitment that I've made. 
So I'll look at that, and I'll pick it up, and I'll kind of go, huh. And two and a half years from now, or sometime in the future, this will still be a reminder of what I've committed to God and what he's going to do to revive the stones and take it from rubble to a facility which will then cultivate worship in those who are far from God and those who are near. So that's what I, I'm going to want you to do. All right. So that's sort of where we're, we're about to go. So I've got markers up here. And if you could, you know, you can, there's still cards up here. If you're like, you totally forgot, come up. There's a pen here. Fill it out. Put it in here. Write what it is on here and put this in your pocket and take it home because I want this to be something you remember to watch how God has fulfilled his promise in your life and you could be a part of something very, very special. So right now, uh, go ahead and take 30 seconds and I want you, we're just going to have like a moment of 30 seconds of silence or something and you guys uh, just go ahead and fill that out. All right, let me pray for us. Father, I'm so excited about all that you are doing. And Jesus, I know uh, that even here, there are people who, here who may not know you, and we're doing something insane. We're giving a whole lot of our wealth and transferring it to hopes to build a building that glorifies you, God. And God, we know that buildings don't mean anything without people who worship. And so, God, I'm praying that somebody here, maybe for the first time, has not recognized their need for a Savior. They've, they have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed. In Jesus, we are praying, Jesus, that you would heal them from their sin, from the darkness, from the pain. That what you did on that cross 2,000 years ago resonates today. That Jesus, you died not so that we could just be better people, but that we could go from death to life. That God, you could in, take something that was really broken and sick inside and heal it. We were dead men. We were dead women. And you made us alive. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I'm praying for somebody to step over that line of faith by simply saying, God, I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on that cross for my sin, and I believe you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Make me the person you want me to be. And Jesus, I'm praying that your grace would move. And those that have been close to you would draw near through a really cool commitment. And there would be this unbelievable, great, sweet blessing through this Commitment Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, so this is such an exciting time. And what, what you guys have just committed is such a huge thing that's going to transform our church and therefore the city. And so one of the things that uh, we're going to challenge you to do now is the 40 days of prayer is not over. Do you guys know that? It doesn't end today. It ends Friday. And what we want to ask you to do from this point forward till Friday is ask God how you give the largest portion of whatever you committed next Sunday on Celebration Sunday. So that's the, that's the prayer. God, how can I give the most of what I've committed next Sunday? And so that's, the, that's a big prayer for next week. 
And I'm super excited. I can't wait to reveal what the number of our commitment is. It's going to be incredible. Imagine, just imagine for a second, whatever that number is, it represents something. It represents the commitment that all of us as one have made to God. It represents what we're going to do to to transform a, a culture that's been indoctrinated with darkness and disbelief. And we're going to say, no, no, there's something greater. And I don't know if we're going to stand on the rooftops and march around, but we're going to have a big celebration. And we're going to say, God, thank you, because you're doing something special here. Would you receive the benediction? Go and be a people who aren't afraid to commit. Go and be a people who rejoice and sing in great moments of commitment of what it's going to represent for our future. And go and be a people who follow through like God's people do because of the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Go and push back the darkness. Have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.